All right, anyway, welcome to worship, everyone, here at Springfield Church of the Brethren for October the 18th. In case you haven't noticed, I, thank you so much, do not have a computer sitting right here because we have the brand new camera set up up above the, in the middle of the balcony. We have the new computer in place and we hit the streaming button to go live, right? All right, so we are live, so they are watching us at home right now. So uh, for those of you who are at home, feel free to send me emails or give me a call tomorrow. Let me know how it goes, So, because I can't tell how well it goes during the actual live. I can only watch the video afterwards. So let me know how it goes. A special thanks to Janice Myler for all of her incredible work. She really set us up with all the testing and everything. Thank you to Mark. I, I, I am to Mike <laughs> and Brandon. All right, and Don, I, that was my ball. I put Josh instead of Brandon in the email. Um, they are the ones who installed all the equipment. Um, Brandon built the computer for us and why we're able to do all of this. And a huge shout out to, to Christopher Klein, along with all the rest, all of the uh, worship committee for all their hard work in supporting this and working through with us as we get this technology up and running. So uh, those of you at home, let me know how it goes. Uh, a couple of announcements this morning. Um, First off, we are coming up to our fall council meeting. There are some proposed changes of the Constitution. Check it out in the back. Um, I don't see Doug right now. I'm assuming he's up there. I don't think he's up there. He's hiding from us. Uh, the Constitution, there are some changes in it. I believe they are in red while everything else is in black, so you'll be able to pick that out. Uh, most of it is adjustment of numbers of people in committees and then some reassignment of duties among different folks. Uh, so please check that out. That's not, the council's not this coming Wednesday, but the following one. Uh, there is the first planned work day, uh, Saturday, the October the 24th, for all who are interested. Uh, you can reach out to Camp Inspiration Hills. I've also heard from our sister Cindy this morning who uh, is planning to go. If you want to go down with someone, reach out to her. She thinks she's going to be leaving around 8-ish that day. There's also a young adult fall hiking trip um, in Peninsula on, uh, on November the 8th at 2 o'clock. If you're interested, reach out to Jenny Emminghoff. Um, information is in here and they define young adults as high school grads through 30s. I guess I get to still call myself a young adult. <laughs> um, one other announcement, uh, Sandra Grund has moved again. Um, she's in room 107, so if you send any letters to Sandra, um, send them to AL107 and they will get to her. Double checking. Are there any other announcements?
I do have one prayer request up here um, from our sister Pat for her neighbor, Phil, who has stage four thyroid cancer. And please keep continue in your prayers, um, Doris and Cecil, as, as she's in hospice. One final note. I almost forgot about it. You may notice in your bulletin is a dark gray section. There has been the question of um, whether we want to return to singing here together in the, in the room. Uh, we have held back from it because of concerns about COVID. So we want to know your opinion. We're doing a poll. So please, as you're able, um, I realize now looking at this, we could have made this a lot easier to tear off or set aside. But if, if you would please uh, uh, mark what you would like to do and tear it off and drop it off in the back, like in the, uh, the offering plate and we'll collect those later. We're just trying to get an idea of how the congregation as a full, especially those who attend regularly here in this room feel. The options we have there are, yes, I would love to return to singing. Yes, but it makes me nervous and I may attend from home. And no, I will attend, I will not attend in person if there is singing. Please let us know. If you're at home, feel free to email me your opinions. Are there any other announcements today or prayer concerns? Then if you will join us as we prepare for a time of prayer, as we listen to the opening music.
prayer team in our days, in our hearts, in our minds. Help us to mean it, to rely on you for our daily nourishment in body, mind, and soul. To be willing to follow where you lead us, to be open to your will. We lift up especially this day to you, God, Phil, and Doris, and Cecil, and all those others who weigh on our hearts. We pray that you will hold them close. We pray that we will be able to be the children you call us to be. as we prepare to worship you today to listen to the word. Open our hearts to be willing to where you are leading us. Open our hearts to be the people you call us to be. Amen. We do have special music today. Um, for those of you who are joining us from home due to CCLI licenses, we will not be able to broadcast the audio. Our scripture today is the fourth chapter of Jonah. If you wanted to follow along the books, it's 655. And to be fair, all of Jonah is just 654 and 655, and that's it. So, short book. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That it was what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who resents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade. He waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it to grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about a plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it and you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
should I not have concern about the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left from their right, and so many animals as well. Blessed is the word of God. So when I was little, I didn't understand money. I mean, I guess that, that's pretty typical among little kids. You see your mom or dad opening up their wallet and pulling out cash or a card and paying for something. And it's just, that's how it works. Mom and dad's wallet has things that purchase other things. No idea of income, of budget, of saving. That's beyond, well, that was at least beyond me as a small child. I just couldn't understand. Why would they choose to do boring things like, I don't know, drive the next two or three hours, even though it was dark, to get home or to get to grandma and grandpa's, when it would be much more fun if we stopped at one of these many motels on the side of the road? They had fun giant beds we could leap on. It would be an adventure. Why, why did they insist that we order off the kids eat free meal plan whenever we went to Baby's Burgers and Shakes on Tuesday nights? That's when we did our grocery shopping. I, I liked the turkey club, but that was on the adult menu. I couldn't get that. I get it now as an adult. I mean, especially considering they had three boys, all of whom wore glasses, and none of them who were very careful. But back then, it was beyond me. I couldn't understand why they chose to spend their money on other things, why they didn't just choose to do the fun and delicious thing every single time. It's part of growing up, learning that the world is full of nuances, of rules, parameters, decisions with consequences. We all know that choosing to do one thing means that we have to give up time or energy or other resources that we'll never be able to reallocate anywhere else. It's just as we get taller and our eyes get farther from the ground and we can see farther and see more things, our minds also get bigger and more broadened and we realize that there is a bigger world out there with a lot more going on. But we can never fully understand it all. We're limited. It's impossible to understand the full ramifications of our actions. It makes me think of this man named Stanley Hauerwas, not incredibly well known outside the theology over top like, thinkers, but he, he's a titan in the world of theology right now and has been for the last couple decades. He's one of those people who defies definitions, defies the boxes we try to classify Christianity in. He equally upsets those on the political left and the political right. He is an outspoken defender and apologist of Anabaptism in virtue. I really enjoy him. One of my favorite quotes. The basic, the basis for ethics of the Sermon on the Mount is not what works, but rather the way God is. 
Turn, cheek turning is not advocated because it works. It usually doesn't. But it's advocated because this is the way God is. God is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. This is not a stratagem for getting what we want, but only the manner of life available now that in Jesus we have seen what God wants. We seek reconciliation with our neighbor, not because we feel better afterwards, but because reconciliation is what God is doing in the world through Christ. I don't know about you, but I get all tingly when I read that. But that's me. <laughs> Howard Wass sets an extraordinarily high bar, even in his own personal life. I remember my theology professor, who's a personal friend, tell us that whenever Howard Wass would move somewhere, he would do his research. He'd look at all the grocery stores and the restaurants and the other businesses in the area and try to figure out where if he spent his, wherever he spent his money, that it would do the best possible impact in the neighborhood. Even if that meant going to a business that things costed, cost a little more because that would keep them in business and paying their staff, or going to a restaurant where things were might not like as much because they did a better job in buying from local farmers or supporting people that way. He always does his cost-benefit analysis, and he sets the benefit of others as his priority. I mean, we can all try to do this kind of thing in our lives. We do this regularly in our lives if we really think about it. We try to go to companies who we, try, we like to support not only because, well, they sell us the things we want, but we might try to support them because we like what they do. We like how they treat their people. I know I'm not as disciplined as him, and I know that even he is aware that he cannot fully understand how his money will impact the world. I mean, for any human being, it's impossible. The world's too complex. Something the Bible reminds us over and over and over again in the Old Testament. I mean, just take Job and Habakkuk. I mean, Job, we all know his story. Job spends an entire book struggling with why bad things happen to good people. And, Job, and finally, God comes and answers Job, and he gives a great answer. Job, God is God, and you're not God, and therefore you can't comprehend. It's very comforting. Well, then, then we have Habakkuk, which is not a book we often dive into but I really do like Habakkuk. Take the time if you can. Pretty short, too. Habakkuk is complaining to God, going, God, I don't get it. Why do you let good people be trampled by bad people? Why are bad people in power? Why are your chosen people not doing the right thing? And God answers him, I'm going to send the Babylonians to punish them. Habakkuk's like, wait, what? The Babylonians are worse than them. Why would you send them? God responds, look, it's more complex than you understand. The Babylonians are but a tool 
and a step towards an ending in which all things will be set right. But there's one prophet, one prophet of all of them that remind us that we don't get to see the whole picture. It's Jonah. Beloved story of childhood. It always surprises me once I get into Jonah's book because if Jonah is easily the worst prophet in the entire Bible, at least that we know of. It's possible there were worse prophets that were never written about. But Jonah's a terrible prophet. I mean, yes, other prophets argue with God. Habakkuk just argued with God. Moses even goes as far as being openly disobedient once, where he strikes a rock with his staff when he was told to talk to it. And just for that little infraction, he's told he's not allowed to go into the promised kingdom. But then there's Jonah. Jonah, who is always, always, always disobedient when he can. God gives him a, a mission. Go to Nineveh, capital of the Assyrians. So he jumps on a boat, go in the opposite direction. So God sends a storm, and the heathen sailors, the people who are not supposed to be good, pious people, kneel and pray to their gods, asking to be spared. And then they ask Jonah to join them, and then they cast lots to figure out whose fault it is that they're stuck in the storm, and the lot falls on Jonah. This is when Jonah finally admits, look, it's my fault. I ran away from the God who created the land and the sea by trying to sail away. Maybe not Jonah's smartest decision. Anyway, he has a new brilliant idea for them. Throw me in the ocean. That will stop the storm. I want to point out that Jonah doesn't say, like, let me pray to God and tell him I, am, I will go back. Please stop the storm. I will return. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, just throw me overboard. Again, Jonah's trying to get out of work because it's hard to go preach in the capital of Nineveh if you're dead. But the men don't want to do that. They're good people. They may be heathens, but they're good people. And so they try really hard to get back to shore, and it doesn't work. So finally, they kneel down and they pray to God, we're doing what he asks us. Please don't hold us against us. We're just trying to live. And they throw him overboard, hoping they won't be held accountable for his death. As we all know, Jonah's second attempt goes as well as his first, and instead of death, he's trapped in the belly of a fish. And after three nights, he prays, not for deliverance. Everyone's awake now. <laughs> not for deliverance. Ooh. Where was I? Deliverance. But for Thanksgiving. He seems to have seen the error of his ways, and he thanks God for his mercy, and he thanks God for setting him back on the right path. So he spit up on shore, and he walks his way on to Nineveh. 
in theory, this is when Jonah has turned, his, turned a new leaf. He's a better man. He's a better prophet. He's no longer the worst prophet. He's still the worst prophet. I mean, let's think about all the other times that we have people who have gone out and railed against evil. I mean, we have people like Jeremiah who carries a yoke and has people attack him. And that's usually what happens. Prophets get attacked because they are annoying, they're loud, they're upsetting. But Jonah, he walks into a city that should take him three days to walk from end to end. He walks half a day into it. He stands up and he delivers a sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Five words in Hebrew, a five-word sermon. And then he turns around and leaves. He is going to do as little as possible. He fulfilled the barest, most basic rules of the contract that he had signed with God. You know what I mean. And then he leaves and he waits for the destruction. But it's just like those heathen sailors, those evil people who don't worship God. The evil people of Nineveh, from the king down to the lowliest beggar, all turn to God and beg for forgiveness. They dress themselves and their animals in sackcloth, which I feel bad for the cat owners, right? And Jonah is left outside the city, where our reading starts today, bitter at God, wishing for his own death. So God sends him a vine, and then a worm, and finally a hot wind, trying to teach Jonah a lesson about responsibility, about care, about the divine way. And all this does is push Jonah deeper into his anger, and the book abruptly ends with Jonah sitting there stewing and God's final saying, should I not have a great concern about the people of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 who cannot tell their left from their right, and also so many animals. Animals is what it says in the NIV. The actual word is cattle. God cares about the cows. Nineveh, after all, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, an empire famous for their brutality, for their thirst for territory. They would bring down a city and then skin alive the rulers and nail that skin to the front gate. After Jonah's time, the Assyrians would eventually give this fate to many cities in the northern ten tribes, the kingdom of Israel. Whenever you hear that phrase, the lost ten tribes, it's because of the Assyrians that they were lost. They ruled by fear. They ruled by force. They nearly brought the southern kingdom of Judah down as well. These people were the worst enemies of Israel during Jonah's time. I'm fairly sure that many Hebrews prayed for their destruction. And throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we see that. 
we see God bringing destruction down on the enemies of the Hebrews over and over. It's not outside the realm of possibility. But God forgives them. And Jonah, like a petulant child who doesn't understand why he can't just order that turkey club, sits there and pouts over the outcome. This isn't up to us. Sometimes prayers aren't answered the way we thought they should be. We can't pray, thy will be done, and then be upset when it happens. Of course, that's what we do. We get upset. We can't understand. We can't understand the threads of our own decisions. We can't even understand how, you know, the old saying, the flap of a butterfly wing starting a storm. Imagine the effects of the decisions that we make. We're a lot bigger than butterflies. God forgives and spares a powerful enemy because they too are living beings. God even goes on to mention that he cares for every single being in there, whether they're human or animal, and especially cows. God won't destroy a city because of the people and the cows. They are part of the creation God has made. This is hard. This is a hard thing to encounter sometimes. These are the worst possible enemies. God tells us to forgive even these. But one thing sticks out to me. Even as Jonah sits out there and he pouts like a little boy, God doesn't leave him. God doesn't say, you did your job. Look, you fulfilled the contract as little as you could possibly do and still call it done. And so I'm going to fulfill my end of the deal and as little as possible. And since you're done, go home. God stays with him. He sits with him. He provides protection. God doesn't turn his back on Jonah just because Jonah turns his back on God and what's going on. God's still there waiting, lifting him up, carrying him through his pain, his misunderstanding, his confusion, his lack of foresight. It kind of goes back to what Stanley was talking about. We aren't called to do things. We aren't called to live away because they make our lives more comfortable. We're called to do things because that's the way God is. We're called to live like Jesus did. And sometimes that means making hard choices and being okay with thy will be done. Despite the fact that thy will be done isn't exactly what we want. And sometimes that leaves us angry, screaming at God, misunderstanding why this thing happened the way it happened. Why did this occur? I can't tell you. And even when we ask God, as 
God does in Job, or as God is asked in Habakkuk. It's part of something else, and we don't get to quite understand that yet. Our view's too small right now. So after you're done standing there and screaming at God, screaming at the world, screaming at fate, you're not alone. God's still standing there with you, patting you on the back saying, it's okay. I'm here when you're ready to listen. I'm here when you're ready to talk. We've been going through prayer every week. Sometimes prayer is hard because it doesn't seem to happen the way that we thought it would. But at least we're promised that no matter how hard or how awful it has been, our prayer is still heard and God is still there walking with us even when we're angry as all get out with God. God still loves us and will walk with us no matter what. Thank you. As you go out this week into this world, I pray that you'll be open to where God leads you and where thy will is. But I especially pray that when life happens, that you'll be able to know 
that God's still with you, even if it feels like the world is coming down around your ears, and that God is always open and ready to listen and to hold you close, no matter how angry or upset you may be. Blessings on you this week, and may you feel God's presence in every step you take. Amen.